Hello, welcome to the How to Write a Novel podcast, where I chronicle day by day the process of writing a novel. But today, let's put that aside a little bit. I did a little bit of writing. I'm a little bit further along than I was the day before. It's going pretty well. But let's take a little side sojourn today, because I'd like to talk a bit about Kevin Smith. Because poor old Kevin Smith, he had like a big heart attack a couple of days ago. And he is okay, and uh, seems like he's going to be okay, hopefully, for a long time. But I thought this would be a good little opportunity to talk about him without it just being, you know, super morose. Because, you know, someday he is going to die, and uh, that will suck. Man, the story of his heart attack, too, is just... uh, Like, he's lost a lot of weight, he's doing much better health-wise than he traditionally has. (laughs) But the doctor was saying to him that it's this, like, blockage in one of his arteries that uh, has been building up for a long time and is also hereditary. Both his parents have heart problems and just, uh... But just, he was describing being at the speaking engagement he was doing and, uh... And he just feels like he's got food poisoning, or he's, you know, a little sick, or a little nauseous. And he's like, let me just, uh, let me just go lie down, let me just work this through, let me just try to get past this. And it just wouldn't stop, and wouldn't stop, and eventually they took him to the hospital, and they're like, buddy, you have a 100% blockage. (laughs) You're gonna die. You're fucking dead. What are you, crazy? Get in here. And that reminds me of a few years ago, I had a similar thing where I thought I had food poisoning. And I was putting it off, putting it off, and it hurt more and more until eventually is the most pain over the course of that day that I had ever felt. Like, that's one of those things that's useful for writing is like, I've never broken a bone. So, I mean, I guess physically I've never really been hurt that bad. But I thought I knew what the ceiling and the floor was for pain, you know? I thought, like, this is what pain feels like. But this internal pain that I felt, I'm like, holy fuck, this is not only worse than pain I've ever felt before. It's way worse. I had no idea pain could get this bad. And that's when you realize there is no floor that is going to get worse than that. And then I was going to die. <laughs> you know, It's like something is really wrong here. So I went to the hospital and uh, it was my appendix. It's like, hey, guess what? You can't leave now. <laughs> You're stuck here for a few days. And similar thing of like, it's a good thing you came. Maybe you would have died. In my case, it wasn't as immediate as his, but still, it's like, hey, maybe you might have died. It's brutal. But yeah, Kevin Smith, he's almost exactly 10 years older than me. I think he's about, you know, nine years and change older than me. And I always use that as a little bit of like a a mental guidepost of like his pop culture references. And when he talked about stuff, it's just like his life experiences. It's like, okay, here's the guy. I mean, in a way, it does kind of feel like a brother, where I have a real brother, but we are not close because he's got schizophrenia and he's fucking crazy, and I'm not good at dealing with him. It's a very sad story. And sometimes I wonder when I see people with siblings that, you know, it's a normal sibling thing that they do still get along with, and I'm like, I wonder what that's like. But then I'll realize, like, I guess I do know because There's like my cousin who's a little older than me, who's just lived in my hometown and just been around my whole life. That's awful close to a brother. That's basically a brother. There's uh, my friend Brad who I've known since I was in like second or third grade. He's always around, you know, that's somewhat, it's pretty close to us, basically family at that point when it's been that long. And as far as like the pop culture realm, as far as like celebrity folk that I've never actually met, There's nobody more in that same family-feeling sphere than Kevin Smith. The first time that I heard of Kevin Smith was, I used to work at a comic shop back in the 90s, and uh, I just remember there were ads for his movie Mallrats, his second movie, on the back of comic books, because comic books played a big part in that movie. The movie was a big bomb in the theater. Nobody cared, nobody really... On a grand scale, nobody really knew Kevin Smith yet. The internet wasn't uh, common back then, so I mean, word had not really spread about Kevin Smith. So I just remember seeing these ads and I'm just like, who are these dickheads? Like, what is this dumb thing I'm supposed to care about? You know, and it just seemed like another 
whatever, just a whatever throwaway movie, weird forgotten VHS blockbuster bullshit that I just assumed I would never think of ever again. But not too long after that, you know, probably like a year-ish, maybe a little more, I was uh, going through this little phase of renting movies from this video store near my house that had this deal where on uh, Wednesday it was only a dollar to rent a movie. So I was renting all kinds of shit, you know, just whatever. Whatever stuff. And uh, Clerks was one of those things I don't know how I heard about it. I just heard about it in the back of my mind. Off in the periphery somewhere. But again, I didn't put a lot of stock in it because recommendations just aren't worth much. <laughs> I still feel that way. But especially for, like, indie movies. I mean, like, because that's all I knew about it. It was a low-budget movie and supposedly it was good. But, I mean, I had heard that and have heard that 10,000 times and it's never true. <laughs> like, if you try to think of another indie movie that's legitimately good in the way that Clerks is good, like legitimately entertaining and well-paced and well-structured and memorable and meaningful, there's none. There's none. <laughs> you know? Maybe if you're some pretentious film guy, there's a bunch. But for me, there's like there's just none. It's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. But but Clerks, I was like, holy shit, like, it was so immediately great that I just rented it over and over. Like, every person that I knew, I think I showed it to my mom. I was just like, everyone around who was like, hey, have you got two hours to kill? Hold on, I'm gonna run down the street and I'm gonna rent Clerks. We gotta watch this thing. It's fucking amazing. And it's all the classic stories of, you know, how it's uh, super low budget, just made by a bunch of friends, just a uh, shoestring movie. And all that stuff is really cool. Like, it is really, like... You know, that that story of, uh, this guy did this, you know? This guy just maxed out his credit cards and him and his friends did this. And anyone could do this, you know? That's the sort of story everyone tells about clerks. And I did feel that way. But at the same time, I didn't feel that way because I don't, I didn't feel like anyone could make clerks. I never really felt like that. Because nobody could make clerks, you know? Like, it was so clearly mega idiosyncratic. I mean, it was like... If this guy isn't a fucking convenience store worker from New Jersey, I'll fucking fuck a dog, you know? <laughs> and it turns out he was, and that this was filmed in the store he worked at, in, like, the whole story. And, uh, I mean, Clerks needed some tweaking, where the original version that you can find on, like, the 10th anniversary DVD set and stuff, where Dante gets shot at the end, and it, that's, that's film school bullshit. Like, that's, that's what would have made it into just a forgettable art film or whatever. And Kevin Smith has even said the only reason he had that ending is because he's like, that's just the ending. When we would go into New York and watch these fucking art films, somebody just gets killed at the end. It's gotta have a morose ending. But then with that switched, it's, it's like miraculous how well it worked. The way the ending is now, where it's just Randall saying, we're closed and throwing the, the we're open sign to Dante credits hit fucking perfect so perfect it's awesome that it worked out so well but yeah me and all my friends became big kevin smith fans we tracked down mall rats and i was shocked i'm like holy shit that's that thing from the comic book <laughs> i never thought that would be back in my life and i never liked mall rats the same way that i liked clerks but by the time chasing amy was coming out like we were all just chomping at the bit for it and uh my stupid hometown was too small so it never played there but eventually you know it came out on video and just the Kevin Smith train just never stopped rolling. And uh, the more I learned about him, he was always super open and one of the very first people to get online and to write blogs and to uh, do long interviews and Q and A's about his movies. Always super, super open. And, uh, and it was just so cool how a lot of the people in his movies are the people that he grew up with and that he just brought along with him to this day. And that's always held a very special place in my heart. That is a very Canadian feeling thing. Like uh, when Tom Green got famous, like we got to see Tom Green as the little tiny weirdo on Canadian TV. And then he went to MTV and it's like, there's all the people, there's all the people he knows, they're still with him. Eventually those relationships fell apart because you know, gotta deal with Tom Green. <laughs> but, but then he tried, cause that was always what I wanted to do also. Had I, hit it big in my early life, which I did not, but 
I would have brought everybody with me. Like, that's the plan. That's the feeling. And even though, like, Clerks was a classic movie, Chasing Amy was amazing, movies like Ball Rats, like, I learned to love, you know, and they all had stuff to them that was really great. Like, I do think the early Kevin Smith movies are very strong. But even then, there was still this idea that it was kind of like the meta was more valuable than the movies. The fact that these were all people from his youth and from his past that were helping him do these things and that he still kept with him and that he'd bring on stage with them and they would tell the stories and and this whole little community. And uh, when I met, I met Ben Affleck when I worked at a coffee shop in like 2005 in Vancouver. And it was a weird thing where uh, the shop was pretty busy and here comes famous ass Ben Affleck rolling in to get a latte and somehow nobody noticed just me and the girl Sunny that was working with me so I got to chat with him for a couple of minutes and that's what I told him I was like man I love those commentary tracks that you do with Kevin Smith they're so great (laughs) which I think has got to be one of the weirdest nerdiest things I hope anyone's ever said to him I'd be proud if I'm sure he wouldn't but if I ever met him again I'd love to be like do you remember that? <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't, but but that's what was in my heart. That's what I wanted to say to him was like just even just stuff like these commentary tracks on the DVDs because I guess that was like a proto podcast. They're just so like just let's just open the doors up. Let's just show you how it's done. And there's just with Kevin Smith, there's no sense of a gatekeeper. And I've talked before on this podcast about how Just in general, maybe it sounds weird to say I don't like movies, because, I mean, I've watched thousands of movies. I still go to movies once in a while. I mean, I just, you know, fucking, it's it's the world. We just watch movies. But on a pass-fail, like, I would give movies a fail. Like, I just, there's just something wrong with them. There's just something that does not connect with me. There's something that doesn't feel like a, a craftsman making something, like an artisan showing me a piece of what's inside of him you know it's just gone it's not there and with Kevin Smith it is there not all the time some of his movies are god-awful like I I hold on so hard I went to like every Kevin Smith movie I went to Jersey Girl I didn't hate it I went to Tusk the first half I thought was really good but by the time we get to Yoga Hosers I had a very hard time making it through Yoga Hosers (laughs) oh my god the movie's terrible And it's such a good idea of, like, a new generation of clerks. And they were pretty funny, the two girls in that movie. They're just, like, kind of ultra-witless, and it was just, like, they had some moments. But that movie was really shitty. (laughs) It's just like, shit, man. Oh, fuck. So there's ups and downs, but overall, that sense of closeness, like, there's a lack of artifice. It doesn't feel like a a large distance between Kevin Smith and his audience. It's just like, here I am, here you are, let me show you a movie, let me tell you a story. And that really is like crazy unique. That is so hard to find. That just like, that feeling, it just doesn't exist. Nobody else has that feeling. And I think that's actually why a lot of people don't like Kevin Smith movies. It's like they want the level of artifice. They want to feel like movies are a sacred event and that we the peons could never make them we must stay at a distance and like it's just weird like Steven Spielberg has made way more bad movies than Kevin Smith that guy's got a fucking ton of bad movies and they suck they're not even a little good some of his movies are so shitty but nobody gives him shit you know because he's He makes these, like, slick-feeling movies, and I think people want that. This is just my weird rationalizations, I guess. It's just, like, it seems like people want that detachment. They want to feel like it's a different world that they are not allowed in. Where with Kevin Smith, it doesn't feel like that. It's like, come into the world. Please come in. Let me show you how to do it. Let me show you how it works. Like, when he put out his movie Red State in the late 2000s, I only saw Red State once, and I was like, yeah, okay, seemed pretty good. Never really felt like I needed to see it twice. But what was awesome with Red State is he chronicled the whole process. Like, he put out these podcasts all about 
financing that movie and making that movie and taking that movie on tour and the whole fucking thing. And that was so interesting and so cool that I'm glad he made that movie just for the ancillary material, you know? And in a way, that's always how I feel about Kevin Smith. Like, that's how I feel about the whole thing is there's the good movies, there's the bad movies, but what's really valuable is just him, just the behind the scenes, the him just talking us through the whole thing. And he's so open. It's crazy how open he is. Even, I mean, it's like a sad story, but talking about this trip to the hospital that he had to take on the weekend, how even though he was in the emergency room and it's like, you're about to die, you know, like this is it, this is the end. But still one of his greatest concerns was having his shirt lifted up or having the guy take off his underwear to uh, shave his pubes so they could fucking go in through the pubic region and do this fucking heart surgery. And that's been just like a running theme through all of Kevin Smith talking about his life and talking about himself as he was a fat kid and a fat guy. He's got real, real body issues, you know? And he tells it as like in a funny way, but it's a real thing. It's like so real that even at the, what could have been the end of his life, this is still the last thing on his mind. This is still the last thing he's concerned about. But he's still open about it. He's still not trying to deny that that's how he is. He still tells the story. He just tells the truth. It's really, it's like kind of a downer that it's like, oh man, it's such a shame that like this is still what's on his mind after all this time. And that, you know, these are the things that he just could never get past. And it seems like never will. I mean, this was death number one. You know, this was the dress rehearsal for dying. <laughs> it's like probably the second one will be similar. But at the same time, the only reason I know this about him specifically with this story but with all the stories throughout the decades that I've been following this guy is because he told me you know because he's open about it because he tells the truth about his life all the time and that's where I really really don't cotton to people that criticize Kevin Smith I mean if you don't like his movies that's fine you'd have to be crazy to like all of his movies <laughs> you know? but it really goes beyond that I mean it's the internet in general, it is like just this, you know, the social media thing. It's like people don't know how it works yet. People don't understand the scope of it. They don't understand that their one little prickly comment, their one little shitty thing is multiplied by just an ocean and the effect that can have on people. I do think in the future, people are not going to look back fondly on us and the way we act online and on the internet. It's like, imagine if they had the internet in the 50s. Like, imagine how dumb they would be. Imagine all the stupid shit they would say and all the bigoted crap and all the nonsense. That's exactly where we are, <laughs> you know? The way we would have thought about them, people in the future are going to think that about us. They're going to be like, these fucking people, they were such assholes. They had no idea the cumulative effect of how to act, how to work in a mass medium like this. They had no idea. And people, they're so hard on Kevin Smith because I think again just because he is open because he's honest because he can be that guy he can tell you about his little dick and his body issue problems and his weight problems and he's just completely open about it and you're not <laughs> you know whoever you are out there you're not open like this guy's open you don't have that kind of confidence you don't have that ability to tell the story not you specifically I know thank you for downloading this I don't mean to insult you you know the royal you and it's just, uh, it's awful to just see how people treat this guy when there's just no reason. There's like, what has he ever done besides making some movies you maybe didn't like? But if you have any fucking taste at all, you should have also made some movies that are among the greatest ever. I mean, Clerks, even if you do just go back to Clerks. He's often said that Clerks is like kind of overrated, but it's not. It is the greatest small budget indie film ever. It's not even close. And that was one thing he said, too, that, uh, God, just such a downer, is, like, he, there was this kind of distinct shift around the mid-2000s, where there was this one especially high-profile news story, where he was just on the front page of every paper, because he got thrown off of a flight, a Southwest flight, because he was too fat, and 
he was fat as fuck. It was a little ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, sorry, I'm doing what I just complained about. I'm just like fucking being a little dickhead. Anyway, the point is, definitely there was like a change with Kevin Smith where he started smoking weed super, super heavily after this Southwest thing. And to be honest, it doesn't seem like it has affected him that much. His work is still like it's always been. His podcasts are more or less like they've always been. It does seem like he's a very functional weed guy. But I just can't deny ever what these things mean. I mean, there's just too much substance abuse in my family. And weed in particular is one big one. My dad is a huge pothead. And it's like, I know what that means. It's like you are covering up some big bad hurt. It's not just a fun thing to smoke weed every day, you know? And it's like, ah, that sucks, because it just means that, like, Kevin Smith never got over that. He never got over that particular shaming, that particular, just too much. It was just too much of the world that they all looked at him just for that one day, and it was just about how fat he is. And then they all stopped caring again. But that's why mass social crazy media is so dangerous is because you do just accentuate the negative you have to it's how your survival brain is wired of like if you're in a tribe with 30 people and 29 people think you're great but one person wants to kill you of course that's all you think about of course that's who you're concerned with because you don't want to get stabbed in the kidney at night so it's absolutely natural that that thing everyone says of like oh you just you only think of the one negative comment it's true, and it's always going to be true. We can't help it. That's how we are. That's how we're supposed to be. The only solution is to limit access, is to just be less involved in what the world is throwing at you. In all senses, in the sense even just of the news and of just dumb media and panicky bullshit, you just got to cut yourself out of it. That's the only way. And unfortunately, Kevin Smith, he just he couldn't really do that, or he didn't do that. I mean, his whole life is based on connectedness and being online and being a personality and like I said it doesn't seem like that big a deal that he became super pot guy I just know that that means that you know something in him got trampled down and never came back and it makes me feel really sad for him Because I do really care about that guy. Like, he's the brother. He's the brother that I never met. He's the guy that's just always been there, you know? Like, back in the pre-podcast days, it would be message board posts, and I got, like, the... My friend Brad got the clerks and chasing Amy script book and then yeah when DVDs were a thing we'd get those and watch all the commentary tracks and even before podcasting he did this thing where he made a uh, like a commentary track for Clerks 2 that you were supposed to listen to while you watched the movie in the theater like just like so ahead of his time just so awesome and I was a projectionist when Clerks 2 came out and I had no faith that Clerks 2 was going to be any good but it was really good and I watched it like 30 times because I worked at this theater. And eventually I'd seen it so many times that since I was the projectionist, I was kind of off the leash. I could do whatever I wanted. So I would go into theaters sometimes and sit near the front and just kind of turn my head back to see the crowd. It was such a neat experience to just watch people watching a movie. And I always remember this one couple, I'll never fucking forget them. It was this like, it was this couple where the girlfriend was like obviously just just a terrible person just a high maintenance piece of shit and she just had her like you know there's like donkey shows and donkey fucking jokes and shit and clerks too she's just got her arms crossed and she's staring at the ceiling like who would have known that people do that you know <laughs> that people go to a movie and stare at the ceiling with a disgusted expression on their face that no one can see and it was just a weird just happenstance that I happen to see it. That's for no one. That's what's in her soul. That's who that lady is. She sucks. And meanwhile, the boyfriend next to her had the biggest, goofiest grin on his face. Like, he was fucking loving it because... Because there's no, nothing like a Kevin Smith movie, man. <laughs> like, especially in, like, 94, but even still now. 
just nobody is that frank and open with dialogue and just and uh it's so hard too to find movies about male friendship it's super rare that's another thing that's just the standard cliche is like oh we'll just have a dumb romance plot in every movie and it's just meaningless but it's always there where even though the clerks movies have little romance plots it's not at all about that it's about dante and randall and it's a shame that they never got to make Clerks 3, because the guy that played Randall, as I understand it, just didn't want to do it. And that's fine. I'm sure it's a fucking nightmare to make a movie if you're a non-actor and that's not your life and he just like doesn't want to go through the fucking washing machine again. I really don't hold it against him. It's fine. If you don't want to make the movie, that's fine. But I was curious, because the Clerks movies are such a great... I mean, it's like them and Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> like, where else can you find stories about guys that have been friends for 10 years or more like you just can't that's a not a story that gets told but that's important and interesting to me and yeah then i guess when i really stayed connected to kevin smith is when podcasting got big and he started doing his podcast smodcast and it's the only podcast that i've never stopped listening to like there's a bunch of other podcasts that i was big into and listened to for years but eventually you just fall off it's like yeah okay i mean that's enough (laughs) but i always stuck with smodcast i never let that one go because i just always want to know what kevin smith is up to and at the same time it's like he does those podcasts with scott Mosier, who he met in film school here in vancouver and he made all those early movies with and even that is just like the story of their friendship and it's just like the whole thing is so great i had actually kind of forgotten where my friend doug who worked in the projection booth with me he told me a little while ago that i'm the one who introduced him to podcasts because of smodcast like i was just up in the booth laughing about something and he's like what are you you laughing about i'm like oh it's kevin smith you know him he's got he's got this podcast it's great and yeah that's when i realized like wow i'm still listening to smodcast i never stopped it's on like a bit of a hiatus right now because Scott Mosier is over in uh, France working on some movie project. But that was the point too where, uh, I mean, I would say Kevin Smith's film output got a lot shakier. <laughs> you know? Where there really started to be some movies that I couldn't... I guess I never saw Cop Out because he didn't write it. He only directed it. So I'm just like, whatever, I don't care. If you didn't write it, I don't need to watch it. But other than that, yeah, I've kept up with everything. But it's the podcast, and the he really went big with it for a while. He had his whole like radio network he did out of his house. He's you know he's uh, rolled back a little bit on that. But I just always want to know what Kevin Smith is up to. I always want to know his thoughts about not so much about movies because he's so easy. He loves every movie, every piece of shit movie that comes out. He thinks it's the greatest. <laughs> like, he's so not critical about movies, but. Uh, but about his own movies, I want to know. Like, even even really bad movies, like fucking Yoga Hosers. It's great because the idea, the term Yoga Hoser, came from one of his podcasts, and it was a classic, super hilarious episode. And even him talking about Yoga Hosers, he's like, you know, I had so much fun making it, I made it with my daughter. It was like, it's almost like a weird family scrapbook, like, we'll always remember this time because of this movie. And even though I just... I like I can't understand I'm like Kevin you still sound like the same guy you still seem like you've got it together (laughs) what happened how are your movies this bad now how are they this bad what happened I don't understand but I loved hearing him talk about it you know and even that like whatever so yoga hosers is bad who cares like he also started uh, he's got these scripts for a tv show he worked on called hit somebody that never got produced so he just started reading the scripts and it's like a hockey story and it's great he's really good at you know he's like he's still really good i think that's the thing it's not that kevin smith got bad or whatever he was always kind of bad i mean i know people that love mall rats but mall rats is not a very good movie <laughs> you know that was the second movie like i feel like clerks and mall rats there you go that's his career those are the twin pillars there's the one that immediately is like that's really moving and amazing and i'm never gonna forget and then there's the one that you know like people you find people that like but but how do i say this I don't, <laughs> it's just 
I've got friends that love mall rats, but I think they're wrong. I don't know. How can I not be a dick about this? It fucking fuck mall rats. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> but, but that's it. That's Kevin Smith. Like, it's you get the good, you get the bad. It doesn't matter because that's not the point. The point is this guy. And, man, even, oh, my God, if you've never heard them, they're so amazing. There's this series of podcasts called Emo Kev where he finds these old recordings that he made when he was a teenager or early 20s maybe, but before he made Clerks, before he met Scott Mosier. And he's playing these things for his friend Scott. He's like, hey, Scott, I know you've known me for 20 years or 25 years, but you didn't know me then. You didn't know this version of me. And they're so fucking ridiculous, man. Like, they're just so maudlin and fake deep and everything's a problem. Like, a girl's coming over to make out with them, and he's like, she's on her way. When she rings the doorbell, should I answer? (laughs) Like, unfucking believable But it reminds me of, like, I had this one notebook in high school. I wish I still had it. I've still got all my old writing and all my old notes. They're all in a box in my mom's house. Except this one diary that I just remember I was like reading it one day when I was, you know, I'd written it when I was like 15 and now I'm 17 or 18 and I was reading it back and I'm like, I hate this so much. I hate this guy. I hate that this ever came out of me and I threw it away. (laughs) But I wish I still had it because it would be great to read now. And like, that's, that's what Emo Kev is. And man, Like, just that I know so many of the beats of Kevin Smith's life, and I know who his friends are, and I know about his life, and just hearing him talk about his hometown and his friends and the stuff he did when he was a kid reminds me of my friends and the people that I knew, and just, it's a, it's like by him talking about his life, I get to reflect on my life, and, and it's just awesome, you know? And, uh, and then there's always that thing being 10 years behind him. I always get that kind of feeling of like, okay, well, if he got here by then, like, I got 10 years to get there, you know? I got 10 years to catch up to Kevin. And I never did, obviously. I've never done anything, really, yet. Hopefully someday. But even that, seeing his life, it's like, yeah, but do I want that? I mean, he's famous as shit, you know? And it's just like, did that help him, you know? Or is it just a bad thing? There's a level of fame that might be okay, but he's far surpassed it, you know? Everybody knows Silent Fucking Bob. And like I was saying, and getting all choked up about, I mean, it's certainly not all for the best. You know, there's a lot of things about his life that probably would have been better, because you can't take it back. Can't put the genie back in the bottle. Can't stop being super famous. One thing I learned from him, that if I ever am a rich-ass famous guy, that is such a great idea is he always tips 100% when he goes to restaurants. And that's such a good idea. I love tipping anyway. I think it's so weird when Europeans are so down on tipping. I guess it's just because they didn't grow up with it. They just don't understand it. I love tipping just because I love having a way to express to someone with a shitty, dumb, pointless, waste of time job that I appreciate that he's fucking, he's literally waiting on me. He's serving me. And, uh, If you've got the money to just tip 100%, like, that's so great, because it just does go from, like, oh, there's that fucking fat, famous director guy, fuck him, to, like, oh, good, I'm glad to see you, because you're going to tip like crazy. (laughs) I just think that's a good policy if you're already a rich, famous guy. But even that's all relative. I mean, he's, you know, a rich, famous guy, but he's not, like, insane rich. He can't just, like, make his own movies, and he's so open about all that, too, of just, like, here's how hard it is to get a movie made. Here's the place I met in Hollywood. Here's how people think of me. You know, here's my my podcast network. Here's my speaking tours. I got to do these things because I got bills to pay. I got a family. I can't just coast off a couple of dumbass movies (laughs) that a few nerds like. (laughs) It's not that easy. And the whole thing is just so fascinating from top to bottom. He's just such a great guy. But yeah, what I was going to say earlier, I think I got distracted, is this thing at the hospital One of these things that was just really sad to hear, in a way, is that this was, in a sense, it was like getting to find out what it'll be like, a dress rehearsal for what it'll be like when he dies. And he was surprised by how positive everyone was, and people that usually criticize him, or people he's never heard from, and just everybody was like, holy shit, Kevin Smith almost died, like, I hope he's okay. now I'm like, I'm feeling upset again. I'm just like, because he, 
he gets so much criticism all the time, all day, just dumbass wags on the internet fucking with him. Even the one time that I ever sent him a Twitter message was because I saw that trailer for Yoga Hosers and I couldn't deal with it anymore with the aboot jokes. The Canadians say about. I mean, I know I say about with an accent. And in Ontario and like Manitoba, they have a really thick accent. But no one says about. No one. No one fucking says about. And he's been making that joke for 20 years and I couldn't fucking take it anymore. I was like, you need to stop, Kevin. You need to stop. So the only time I ever talked to Kevin Smith, that's what I said. But he does need to stop with that shit. It's fucking ridiculous. But that flood of negativity like I mean it's easy when you're just pontificating about mass communication to you know think about the percentages and like okay how many people really mean these things they're saying do they really mean them to the extent that it seems like they mean them or are they exaggerating do they actually care at all or are they just trying to drum up you know, some clickbait shit or just trying to make themselves feel better. Like, really, the the wave of internet hate realistically probably doesn't mean much. It probably really isn't anything. If any of these people met you in real life, they would all be nice. They would all be fine. They would actually probably get along with you and it would just not be a thing. But it must be so impossible to really believe that when it's about you and when it's just coming at you all the time. Because he seemed genuinely surprised. He thought that people would be like, fuck you, you fat fuck, I'm glad you're almost dead. You know, he thought thought that when he died, the news would be 50%, fuck you, I'm glad you're dead. And that's also just so sad, because it really does show, like, that that's just how much that stuff sticks with him, and that's how he feels about, about how other people feel about him. And it's just such a shame, it's such a downer. Because nobody else is surprised that it was an outpouring of support. You know, no one else is surprised. Even people that quote-unquote don't like Kevin Smith. I mean, the number of people on the earth that legitimately really don't like Kevin Smith, it's probably like a hundred people on the whole globe, you know? (laughs) The reality is either people don't really care or they just think it's funny to make snarky comments. And he does have a lot of movies that, uh, you know kind of deserve a kicking because they're pretty shitty (laughs) but but yeah I don't know I just don't know how else to say it of like like of course everybody loves (laughs) of course everyone loves Kevin Smith like how could you not the amount that he gave to us and just it's it's incredible All right, that's enough. I don't want to cry on the internet anymore. (laughs) But this whole idea of, like, chronicling writing a book, or long before this, I mean, I have always tried to be as open as I could about my life to calamitous fucking... (laughs) fucking outcomes sometimes. I've had terrible things happen that have just been like, oh, guess what? That's recorded on the internet. Now everyone can hear it forever. And it's just like, oh my God, holy fuck. But I still would prefer that than to not be open. I want to be open. I want to be truthful. Whatever my life is like, I want to be able to express it. I want to be clear about it. I want anyone else who has a life like mine, and everyone has a life more or less like mine. Everyone's here on the earth, and just, it's so valuable to be open and to be honest and to be truthful. And guys like Kevin Smith are why I feel that way. And I could just never respect that more. Like, what else can you do that's worth more than that? Like it's the person that is important way more than the work like I don't care if some guy wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning novel who gives a shit so I read it and big deal (laughs) you know what does it really mean how did it really affect me whereas if a guy makes a handful of great movies and a bunch of shitty ones but he is just an open genuine guy that's worth way more 
that's the greatest thing you can do. If you're going to be... I mean, I think... If you want to just live your private life and keep to yourself, of course, I absolutely... That's fine. Please do. <laughs> but to be like a public figure, to try to express, to be a storyteller, there is no story better than just your story, the story of your life. Any other story is a side dish. Any fiction that you write, any work that you create, that's not the real deal. That's not the actual main event. The real deal is your life and your experience. And there's just nobody, there might be nobody that has as consistently and for as long and as openly talked about his whole life from top to bottom. His friends, his childhood, his work, his family, everything. It's fucking insane. If you've never heard the story of the night that his dad died, you can find it online and it's insane. It's so crazy. If you want the story of himself almost dying, he just posted a thing that's on his on YouTube from the hospital talking about having a heart attack. It's it's amazing. So White nerdy kid loves Kevin Smith. <laughs> Headline of the fucking century. What a shock. Thank you for listening. Hopefully Kevin Smith will have many, many, many more years ahead of him. Hopefully he's only halfway done. I mean, he's only 47 years old. This blockage in his heart was largely hereditary. I mean, he might be fine now. He might just be fine. <laughs> So here's hoping. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Unfortunately, there's a block when it, when it comes to me. I, here's the thing. Like somebody was saying the other day, like, doesn't it piss you off that fucking, like, how many people just get pissed off when you open your mouth? And I was like, um, I mean, I, I get, look, I'd rather that wasn't the case. I'm like everybody else. Like, I want peace at all fucking times. I would love everybody to be cool with me. But at the end of the day, you can't have that. You can't have a 100% approval rating, especially when you're going out there with something that, like a movie or art or, you know, some self-expression. There's always going to be some motherfuckers who are like, boo, I don't like it, you know. <laughs> so you expect that kind of thing. It, it, that's not the, the, the thing that, that kind of bums me out, though. Like, it, it's just the, you get to a point, man, where you're like, I, I would, I don't want to fucking hear it anymore. I don't want to hear how I fucked up a movie you didn't make. You know what I'm saying? And you just get to a place where you're like, dude, it's my movie. Like, I, you didn't like it? God bless. But what are you telling me? I'm not good at my job. Like, I think I know what I'm doing. But even that shit went away. Like, that used to really bug me back in the day. After Southwest Airlines, dude, no press bugs me anymore. You know what I'm saying? You just get to a point where you're like, when fucking 10,000 people, 5,000 people are calling you fat in the headline, everything else is just a walk in the fucking park. Even like post-Sundance and shit, people were like screaming from my head and whatnot. I was just like, well, it'll go away. It did on Southwest Airlines. It'll fucking end here. It always does. Some people just get out of sorts. But somebody asked me, like, doesn't it bug you, man, that everyone likes, not everyone, but you get people that react like that to you. And I was just like, you know, I look back on fucking the last 17 years, I can't complain about nothing. You know what I'm saying? If that's the price I got to pay, some people are just like, you're not as good at your job as you fucking think. I'm like, okay, thank you. And, and that's it. You know what I'm saying? It took me a long time to learn that. And sadly... I'm learning it as I'm cresting out. You know, I'm like, oh, you learn all the most important lessons, I think, when you're on your way out the door. So for me, it's like I've gotten to a Zen place where it's just like, you know, I, I, my life is great. If I got to take, if I got to eat a little shit every once in a while, because, you know, some people want to get up in my grill about a fucking movie, nothing real. They're not getting up in my face about like, you fucking slaughtered an entire fucking race of people, Hitler. You know, like that'd be a tough thing to live down. They're getting into my face about like, you know, hey man, fucking Jersey girl still blows. I'm like, yeah, 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 but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I just don't even know what to say anymore. It's like, I can't say like, dude, I don't think it does blow, but tell me, brother, what do you feel about? It? You know, it's just, you get to a place where I don't know, I can eat the shit. I don't mind that because it's been a blessed life and I've gotten to do great things. And like every movie I ever wanted to make, I got to make. So if every once in a while you got to deal with some cats fucking jumping down your throat, even if what you're saying is something that they would agree with fundamentally. That's the thing that blew my mind, man. When the press that went after me about the fucking self-distribution, the same press 
that I would have imagined would have been like, right on, man. What a good idea. Like, let's try. Like, what a good experiment to try. But because of who I am and because I think I give off a fucking pheromone, man, that just makes some people fight. Like that one episode of The Simpsons where the girl was always trying to beat up Lisa, uh, the bully and shit like that. I just give off some sort of scent that some people pick up on. They're like, I don't like that fat fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just have people in your life like that where you're like, I don't like that guy. And they're like, why? He's a great guy. Like, I don't like him. He just bugs me. I think I am that for a lot of fucking people. Um, but, you know, I got you guys, so I'm okay with that, too. Actually, I believe all your um, responses have been so even-tempered, and I don't really hear a defense. What I hear is just your passion for the project that you've been making. Some people hear that very defensively, though. I mean, but it is. Look, you hear it as passion. They hear it as defense. Who's fucking right? Who's wrong? You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's six and one half dozen the other in that instance. But you hear it through a filter of, I like him. They threw it here through a filter of, I don't like him anymore, you know, or I never did or something like that. So, you know, again, can't get a hundred percent approval, but the nice thing, and that's the thing when I think about when, when I'm tempted to think about motherfuckers who don't like me, I'm always reminded of the motherfuckers that do the people sitting in this theater, the people that like, Hey, I want to, I want to build a podcast theater and like, do it. And I do it and y'all show up or, you know, I'm going to make this movie. Come see it. And you do it and you come and you show up. That's that's been the best fucking part. Well, thank you so much for taking us in to your life and letting us be a part of this whole experience. You're gonna make me cry, dude. Uh, I had a really tough day. There was this moment where I was like, I'm I might die. Like all this talk, and like at one point somebody said, "Get the morphine," and I was like, "Morphine? Like where? Why? I'm not that guy. I ain't interested in morphine." And if they're pulling out morphine. That usually means bad shit. So when I heard that, you know, I started going like, this could be it. This might be it. And so I thought about my life and I thought about everything. You know, it's not like my life flashed before my eyes, but I had a good long moment to think, you know, and, and like, what did I want to do? Do I want to bargain with God in that moment and be like, please fucking save me and stuff like that. After dogma, that was probably not going to happen. So I just thought about everything. And thought about, like, you know, my parents and how they raised me and and my brother and my sister and, and my friends and my wife and my kid and my, like, this weird, wonderful career that I've had for so long and stuff. And I was, like, content. Like, it was weird. I don't know how to say it. I, I didn't want to die. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, well, if the ferryman comes tonight... I got to pay him. Like, what a ride it's been. What an incredible fucking ride, man. So there was calm. So even as the dude was like, we're going up your groin and we're into your heart. And I was like, I was calm. It was weird. I was always afraid that I would be, you know, terrified of dying. I watched, you know, my dad didn't see him die, but was there when my dad passed. My brother actually saw him die. Um was there when my grandmother died. Like, I've seen people die. And I was always terrified. Like, I like life. Like, life worked out for me. And so I don't ever want to let it go. But in that moment, you know, even though I was 47 and stuff like that, I was like, well, that, that'll do it. Like, I, that'll do, pig. I felt like I was babe. I was like, that'll do, pig. That'll do. And I was not, not I was ready. I was, I, was, I was okay with it. I was bummed that we weren't going to get to make Jane's Silent Bob reboot. That was the only... Big regret. Of course, not seeing my wife and kid and stuff like that. That goes without saying. But professionally speaking, I was like, if only we had made that movie, that would have been a nice one to go out on. So now we still got time. In any event, so far, so good. Still standing, folks. Thank you for all your incredible well wishes and whatnot. Um, and hopefully uh, see you guys very soon. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go convalesce. Good talking to you. Good talking to you.